Hello, and welcome to episode 10 of Reframing the Gospel. This is going to be one of the more short, reflective episodes on the concept of incarnational ministry, incarnational living. So kind of looking back on the previous episode with Paul Granger, when I was able to have a conversation with him about his experiences with incarnational living. So if you haven't had a chance to check out that episode, I would definitely recommend going back and giving it a listen. There's some some great stuff in there. But today is going to be a little bit more story form. Instead of reading from a script like I sometimes do for these episodes, I'm just going to be talking with some some bullet points. So if I stutter or pause a little bit here and there, it's just because I'm trying to make this natural and a little bit more authentic than just reading from a script. Because I think a lot of this is really story-oriented around my own story of what I've experienced with this concept, this idea of incarnational living and incarnational ministry. So I want to start just by talking a little bit about my own history and growing up in the suburbs of Arkansas, (laughs) which is kind of a weird blend of Southern and Midwestern in the area that I lived in. It wasn't necessarily the suburbs of a bigger city. It was just suburbs kind of on their own, uh, which is kind of just a weird phenomenon of uh, that kind of Midwestern area of the country. But I really grew up in an area where I had some really great neighbors. I, you know, I grew up with a lot of friends uh, in my neighborhood, folks that I would hang out with a lot. But I know that growing up in that area, what it meant to be a neighbor was really just that, you know, you you waved, you, you said hi when you saw people, you maybe asked people how they were, but you didn't really expect a whole lot in response. People didn't ask a whole lot of you. You didn't ask a whole lot of your neighbors. You know, at best, you knew their names and maybe you knew the names of their kids, where their kids went to school, but that was about it. You pretty much, you know, stayed out of each other's lives. You drove into your garage, you closed your garage door, and that was about it. So for me growing up, what it meant to be a neighbor, it didn't mean a whole lot. It Neighbors were just kind of these people that you, maybe you saw, maybe you didn't. I, there were plenty of neighbors on my street that I never saw, that I never got to know. And that's just kind of the way life was. That felt really normal um, for that part of the country and for my family and where we were living at that point in time. So it was kind of a culture shock for me when I first moved to Richmond, Virginia, or when I first came up here for an internship back in 2019, particularly coming into the neighborhood of Church Hill, which is a more urban neighborhood, more low-income neighborhood, or at least it, it was more so at that point in time. So I just remember driving in to Church Hill for the first time, coming from growing up in suburban Arkansas. It was really different. And I just remember driving in, it was pitch black, it was, you know, late evening. And I just remember thinking, where am I? Like, what is this place? Like, I I just never been in a neighborhood that felt like Churchill up until that point. Which just goes to show a little bit of my own cultural naivete at that point in my life. But it felt super different. Just in Before I'd even met anyone, just driving in, it just had a different feel to it. But then as I 
kind of moved in for my internship and lived in the neighborhood and got to know some of the people on my street, that feeling just intensified because it was very different. The people who were living in the neighborhood and how they were living in the neighborhood was just very different from what I'd experienced in Arkansas. Uh, a particular neighbor that I got to know who really had a big impact on on me, even though I didn't know them for a very long period of time, was uh, this guy named Mr. James who lived on my street and actually the street that my wife and I now currently live on. And he was a, a black man in his, I want to say early 60s, maybe. He, like a lot of people living in this neighborhood, had had kind of a hard life. He had um, experienced uh, addiction and homelessness and food insecurity, just a lot of really hard things. But he was a really incredible guy. He just had such a, an amazing attitude towards life. Oh, and he also had schizophrenia, which he was medicated for. And he would often say things, talk about his schizophrenia in really funny and interesting ways. He was just very self-aware about it, which I always just found very admirable. And And he was able to get past a lot of his addictions. He is had been sober for a good number of years by the time I, I met him. And um, yeah, he was just a really incredible guy, but very, very different kind of person from the types of people that I'd grown up with. I grew up with very kind of cookie cutter, middle class white people, none of whom struggled with drugs or addiction or homelessness or food insecurity that I knew of, at least. And um, so getting to know Mr. James was definitely just kind of a peeling back the the veil and and seeing what it's like to be someone who who grew up in in Churchill in Richmond Virginia and how different that was from my experience growing up and because of his experience and because of the experiences of so many other folks who grew up here what it means to be a neighbor what it means to be someone who lives in this community is just very different and that was something that would become more clear to me the longer that I lived in Richmond. Another another aspect of of my growth and kind of learning about this new culture that I was a part of was getting plugged in with a local church here in Richmond called East End Fellowship. And East End is a church that was planted here in, in Churchill in this neighborhood specifically. And a lot of the folks who attend the church, especially in its earlier years, were folks who moved into the neighborhood very intentionally to to live and and do ministry here with uh, with the folks who live here. Who, a lot of whom were who are low income and people of color. And um, so the culture of the church was just very intentional about this idea of of incarnational ministry of living in a specific place with a specific people for a specific purpose. And something that I came to learn about as I became more involved with Easton Fellowship and learned more about the neighborhood of Churchill was this organization called the Christian Community Development Association. So community development is a practice that's been around for a while. So Christian community development is kind of a specific branch of community development that obviously has more Christian influences. And it was pioneered by a guy named John Perkins, who I'm not going to talk a lot about right now, but you should definitely look him up if you're curious. He's a really, a really cool guy. Um, but a lot of the 
practices and the just mentality and the vision of Easton Fellowship and of a lot of the people who live here in Churchill is based out of some of the tenets of the Christian Community Development Association. And a big part of that are what they call the three R's, which are relocation, reconciliation, and redistribution. So these are kind of three of the big guiding principles of this organization and this way of of doing ministry. So the biggest one and the first one is relocation, which is this idea of of moving to a different place, essentially. And there are different types of people that might do this. There are those who grew up in a neighborhood like Churchill who who maybe leave, get out, and quote-unquote, I guess, like, make it, you know, they, they're doing well, and then they decide to move back, so they relocate back to the community that they grew up in purposefully. There are those who maybe grew up in a neighborhood like Churchill who, who stick around, who purposefully stay to try to invest in the community that they grew up in. And then there's people like me who are not indigenous to the community, who move in as outsiders, and that's another kind of, of folks who may relocate and, and relocation is really at the heart of a lot of CCDA's uh, ideology and practices. And I'm just going to read a little quote here um, that's uh, from a book written by John Perkins, kind of a handbook for the Christian Community Development Association. And this is actually a, a quote from somebody else named Bob Lupton. Um, but Bob says that we are finally beginning to realize that Programs do not fix communities. Only neighborhoods can do that. Urban neighborhoods need vested neighbor leaders who will organize the taking of playgrounds back from the drug dealers. Needed are new homeowners to repair and restore deteriorated homes. Educated neighbors are needed to revive the PTA and turn the schools back into environments of creative learning. Urban renewal, public safety, and public education initiatives funded and operated from outside the community may have their place, but without the leadership of committed, connected, compassionate neighbors who have a stake in the future of the neighborhood, these programs will have little lasting effect, unquote. And I want to read another quote right after that, because I think, especially coming from me as like, a white guy who moved into this urban neighborhood, um, I think it's really important to make sure I address the fact that, that I am an outsider, that I am, even though I consider myself part of this community now, I'm, I'm not indigenous and I never will be. And that, and that is an important thing to realize. But this is another quote from the book from another, a different person named Jonathan Brooks. Uh, he says, quote, those who come from a culture or ethnicity different from the community to which they are relocating are well advised to dismiss the goal of transforming anything. Just come to learn. This will be appreciated much more than your efforts to, quote, save the neighborhood. If you come humbly with a willingness to learn, you will find in time that you are making a difference, often without even realizing it. End quote. So this idea of relocation is is really important in terms of thinking about incarnational ministry and is something that a lot of the folks who are a part of Easton Fellowship, this church in the neighborhood, take very seriously and have purposefully relocated to this neighborhood of Churchill to try and be agents of 
restoration and reconciliation. But again, I think it's important to acknowledge that, especially for folks like me who are from a different culture and a different ethnicity um, from the community that I relocated into, that it's important not to think that my presence here is going to necessarily transform anything in and of itself. I'm, I'm not here to save Churchill. Um, I'm just here to be a part of the community and to, to learn from them. And, and maybe my presence here over time will make a positive difference. I, I hope that it does. But I know that at the end of the day, that that's something that's going to be more effectively accomplished by the folks who grew up here, the folks who have spent their whole lives here, who become leaders and, and make a difference here. Um, but another important aspect of, of CCDA's vision is this second R, which is reconciliation. And reconciliation is something they see as between people and God and between people and each other. So another quote from, from the book written by John Perkins says that, quote, community, devel community development is content to help people find a job or a decent place to live. But Christian community development includes guiding people toward a reconciled relationship with God through Christ. And reconciling people with God is virtually inseparable from efforts to reconcile people with other people. So this idea of reconciliation is another important aspect of what it means to live incarnationally in a space, especially a space like Churchill, I think, because it's going to be something that we need. Living here myself, it's something that I've definitely had to embrace because it can be hard to do life with people who are very different from you, with people who have had very different experiences and very different realities. You're not going to see the world in the same way, and that's going to require reconciliation. Uh, another really great quote that I think kind of relates to this from the book says, when we listen to other people, we will not always agree with their perceptions. In fact, some of what they say will make us angry. That's part of the process. The goal of reconciliation is not to persuade or be persuaded, but rather to understand and be understood and respected, end quote. And I think that's just a really, really good thing to remember, is that we're not always going to agree with each other when we're living in these spaces where I'm coming from suburban Arkansas <laughs> and I'm doing life with folks who, who grew up here in Churchill and Richmond, Virginia and experienced very different lives. We're not going to agree with each other on everything and we may make each other angry. And part of the process of reconciliation is not for me to try and persuade anyone that my way of doing things is right or to necessarily be persuaded, but just to try and understand each other and respect each other. And that's, that's hard. It's definitely something that has been a big learning curve for me um, as I've lived here in Richmond. So the third R um, from the three R's from CCDA is redistribution. And this is one I think that has often been misunderstood because a lot of people in their minds, I think, associate redistribution with concepts like socialism, communism, kind of spreading the wealth. And that's not really what CCDA is talking about with this word as they've defined it. Um, they say that their approach to redistribution focuses not on income, but rather on opportunity. So rather than redistributing income, CCDA is talking about how do we redistribute opportunity and the opportunities that we should all have to, to be successful, to be happy, 
to thrive. I think that everyone should have the opportunity to thrive. And the sad reality is that a lot of folks who, who've grown up and in, in still live in underprivileged, under-resourced neighborhoods like Churchill is that they don't have an equal level of opportunities. And there's a lot of reasons for that that would take a much longer episode to really dive into. But another quote from John Perkins' book about redistribution says, quote, redistribution for the CCDA means in part striving for justice, especially in underserved communities. It means working to bring justice to our criminal courts and prison system, to hiring practices and housing policies, and to the educational system, end quote. So this idea of redistribution is really just thinking through how we can take the opportunities that are available and make them equally available to the folks who maybe have historically not had as much access to certain opportunities for different reasons. So those are the kind of the three R's from the Christian Community Development Association. And they've, they've really had a big impact, not only on me, but on a lot of the folks who live here in this community and who go to Easton Fellowship, they're kind of just in the blood, so to say. Some people probably wouldn't even be able to quote them or might not even realize that that's what we're working off of. But a lot of the kind of internalized uh, vision and mission of this community has a lot to do with those with those three R's. And yeah, so living in Churchill for me so far, I've been here about four years and the neighborhood has changed a lot in the past four years. It, it's not not the same place that it was. Um, and again, that would take a longer podcast episode to really get into. But it's been a really great experience for me living here. Definitely not an easy experience all of the time. But I've really gotten to see what it looks like to to be a neighbor, to be a good neighbor. And I'm not saying that because I've been a good neighbor, but I'm saying that because I've I've seen other people in this neighborhood be good neighbors. Folks who you might not expect based on your own preconceived notions to be good neighbors like the guy next door who you're pretty sure is a drug dealer but who is a really kind really caring neighbor who waters your wife's garden when she's out of town you know things like that that you just might not expect especially for someone like me who grew up in middle-class suburban Arkansas (laughs) so I think uh what's been a challenge for me and a challenge that I'll leave for you is what does it mean to live incarnationally in your context? And I say that's been a challenge for me because our neighborhood has been changing a lot. It's become less of a low-income, under-resourced neighborhood. Um, resources have been moving in. Um, Middle-class folks have been moving in. Uh, so the demographic of our neighborhood is, has changed a lot in the past few years. And so what it means to live incarnationally has changed as that culture has changed. And like Paul said in the previous episode, you can live incarnationally anywhere. You don't necessarily have to be living amongst low-income, under-resourced folks to live incarnationally. So my challenge is just, yeah, like in the context that you currently find yourself, what does it mean to to be a good neighbor, to really care about the people around you and to to really be rooted in a place, to really care about the people around you and their well-being and the well-being of their kids. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's something that I think we all would do well from thinking about a little bit more frequently. So 
Thanks for tuning into this episode and for listening to my ramblings about incarnational ministry. Next episode is going to be a really good one. I got the opportunity to interview David Bailey, who's the founder and chief vision officer of a really cool nonprofit called Airbomb. So tune into that next week and I'll see you then. Bye.